Hello. Welcome to the uh, nine-day retreat on awareness with wisdom. Uh, Tonight we just want to speak briefly about the retreat, the retreat format, introduce ourselves, um, talk a little bit about the refuges and precepts, formally uh, open the retreat, and then go to bed. (laughs) So, um, my name's Steve Armstrong, and to my immediate right is Deborah Ratner-Helzer, and she's been a long-time student, a former nun in Burma, and now a mother of two. Lives in the D.C. area and teaches a senior group of students there. And she's been teaching with us here at this retreat for six, eight, ten years. A long time. Anyway, it's great to have you back. And to my immediate left is Mark Nunberg, another long-time Dharma student. And I just asked him in the, uh, in the dining room before we came in, I said, how many, how many different teachers have you practiced with? You know, in all the Thai, Burmese traditions and, and Tibetan traditions and, what, and dozens. And it's just a kind of a comment that I just want to make generally that the four of us here have practiced with dozens of different teachers in different traditions and different lineages within uh, the Buddhist and other spiritual traditions. And so you're quite likely to hear a pretty wide range of teachings because all Dharma is borrowed from other people that have gone before us. So, uh, but it's all teachings that we've found to be useful and helpful. Mark has been living in uh, Minneapolis and has a large, is, is headed up a large uh, city center there and very successful, lots and lots of um, people practicing there. And just recently has purchased a small property for individual retreating, I think, small group retreating uh, outside of Minneapolis. And to my far right uh, on the floor is uh, Vance Pryor, uh, a senior student at age 30, <laughs> hard to believe, but he came to our first retreat in when he was 16 and has been practicing since then. And now he's in a five-year uh, training program to uh, begin sharing the Dharma uh, with with folks like yourself. So he'll be here observing and participating and offering some some teachings and you'll have an opportunity to hear from him or to check in with him during the retreat. Also happy to have Vance here. You know, coming to a retreat like this, it takes a lot of everything. (laughs) It takes a lot of courage, it takes discretionary time, it takes discretionary income, it takes a lot of wisdom actually. It takes a lot of love to care for yourself in this way. It's It's not always obvious how much internal uh, support 
it takes to get us to come to a retreat like this. And I just want to acknowledge that I know for each one of you, you've had to leave important people, important work, important commitments, um, preferred distractions, family, friends, all kinds of things to come here to look at your own mind, which provides all of the above. But nevertheless, uh, I want to really just take the time to acknowledge how much it takes to even get here. A commitment and, you know, a decision and a commitment and a kind of reaffirming that commitment every time an alternative option came up for this next nine days. And now that you're here, I just want to thank you for making the decision to care for yourself in this way. And even though we do the work with our own body and our own mind, and it seems very, can at times seem very uh, self-absorbed and kind of all about me, to the extent that we really get it and we really get the process of awareness and understanding and we come to understand ourselves, we're a force of goodness in the world. And it, the work that we do here doesn't benefit just ourselves, but it benefits everyone that we share life with. So as you go through the, the days and the struggles with your own body and mind and the challenges of just waking up to the reality of being a human being, remember that you're not just doing it for yourself to get through the week. You're doing it for everyone that you share life with. And sometimes that can be a more powerful support for practice than just doing it for ourselves. One thing I've noticed in, in the years that I've been practicing since 75, that there are many different teachers and traditions and lineages of practice. And the peculiar distinction of different lineages and traditions is that they all start out differently. The initial practice, the initial instructions, the initial uh, tools, if you will, of training the mind are very different. But what I've discovered in the few traditions that I've practiced long-term in is that the more you practice, the more they begin to look alike because they're all pointing to the Dhamma. And the Dhamma is the way things have come to be. So it doesn't matter what, how you look at it or how you approach it, when you look at the way things are, the way things have come to be, you're going to see it in a similar way. And so you may hear instructions which sound a contradictory or paradoxical or impossible to, to do at the same time. And yet, as you do your practice and, and you try and you make the effort, you'll see that they all can be valid at different times in your day, in your week, in your life. And they're all skillful means. They're all ways that we have found through our own practice through our own uh, efforts to wake up to our lives, that 
at different times, different tools are needed. And a large part of the skill of learning to meditate and learning to observe our life and to understand it is learning how to use the tools skillfully and knowing when to apply them. If you only have one tool, a hammer, everything begins to look like a nail. But if you have a whole toolbox, then you have a wide variety of conditions that you can address. And so we'll be offering many different tools, suggestions, traditions, uh, ideas of how to work with things. And it really is up to you to kind of try them and see which one works for you in this particular situation and be willing to experiment with others. The structure of the retreat uh, and the formatting of the retreat is not accidental. It's not something we just thought up this afternoon. It's a tried and true uh, format for conducting retreats like this. First of which is the seclusion, coming to a place like this away from your usual uh, activities. And I might say that usual activities includes cell phones, iPads, iPods, Twitters, glitters, hitters, misses, whatever. And just to put them aside. And coming here to a place of physical seclusion and then really working to be here, to really put your mind here and to engage the practice here. So that kind of physical seclusion is, is really a first big step. And the second is the silence of the retreat. This retreat will be conducted in what we call noble silence. Um, it generally means uh, to refrain from speaking uh, other than about your practice when you're speaking with the teachers or asking questions in the hall or in those cases where you need to speak to a staff person about your job or anything else like that, then to, to do it with some discernment, some discretion, and to limit the just the amount of chatter that you might engage in. Uh, silence or refraining from unnecessary speaking is a powerful support for really coming to know yourself more carefully, precisely. Another support for our practice here is the singularity of the input, meaning all we'll be talking about is the Dhamma, the way things are, teachings that we've heard from the Buddha and others that support those teachings, commentators on the teachings, and we really won't be offering much that is kind of just uh, not to the point of coming to know the way things are and how to understand them. That can have a powerful effect because it lets all the other topics in the mind settle down. And if they aren't being stirred up with you know, news and contemporary events and what's happening in the world, you can really drop into being in your own mind. And everything that's happening in the world is happening in your own mind. So if you can get interested in that, 
you'll know all that you need to know. The other thing that here, uh, you, when you look at the schedule, you see that there's sitting and walking and meals, and then there's a time to sleep. That's it. There's nothing else to do. And so if you're looking for stimulation, you'll have to find it in sitting, walking, meals, or your yogi job, because that's it. Later in the retreat, maybe tomorrow or the next day, we do have uh, a book. We're going to be offering you each a book that we're going to encourage you to read during the retreat. Different kind of retreat, right? Uh, but it's a book on how to practice. And it's a book that we found to be particularly uh, conducive to be read on retreat because it's not entertaining. As Mark said, <laughs> as Mark said today, he said, you, you can have this book on a retreat because it's not that entertaining. It's just all about how to practice. You know, so you can read it to your heart's content. <laughs> and so then the, 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 main, the main format of the retreat, as you've probably noticed, is just a schedule of wake up at 5 o'clock and, and, and continue further practice or go to, go, go to bed to rest at 9.45 at night. That, that's a long day. You know, it's not a, a 9 to 5 job, it's a 5 to 9 job. <laughs> so uh, we, we have to kind of prepare ourselves for that kind of uh, work day because it is work. And not get too excited, not put all our energy into the morning because we've got a long afternoon to get through. And to just kind of work at a steady pace rather than a kind of an exuberant pace. And in this way, we'll have the, the stamina to kind of uh, make it through each day and to make it through uh, the nine days of the retreat. But you will see that in the morning, you know, there's the schedule of waking up and sitting and before meal. And then just after breakfast, there's a work period. And then the first sitting after breakfast is when we'll be offering the daily instruction. So it's really important that you all attend that sitting and please arrive on time uh, because we like to know that everyone is getting the same instruction and uh, kind of working with it that day. And there'll be an opportunity then at the end of that sitting for some questions and we'll try to answer them. And then throughout the rest of the morning there's alternate periods of walking, sitting, walking, sitting. Having a schedule of just 45 minutes to walk, 45 minutes to sit, 45 minutes to walk, 45 minutes to sit, 45 minutes to walk, 45 minutes to sit, boring. Well, it's boring, but it's, it's a routine that allows the mind to just settle into not making any other decisions. You don't have to decide what to do. You hear the bell, you go do what you weren't doing. If you were sitting, get up and walk. If you're walking, go sit. <laughs> You don't, you don't have to, really don't have to think about it. You don't have to plan your day. You don't have to strategize and scheme how you're going to get your water bottle filled or anything. You just <laughs> kind of just do it. It's also a commitment to the discipline of just following the schedule. So some of you may choose to sit here. You may choose to sit in your room. That's your choice. Uh, sit up in the there's a room upstairs that has some easy chairs and things in it. But just to follow that discipline from, you know, after breakfast to lunch really builds up a lot of momentum of the continuity of practice. Really important. But then in the afternoon, you'll see that there's a period of time after lunch, from after lunch 
o'clock, to 4 o'clock, no schedule. It doesn't mean it's a recess. It doesn't mean it's a time for a nap. It doesn't mean you kind of can take off. It means whatever you do, be mindfully aware. You can sit, you can walk, you can stand up, you can do, if you, if you do a yoga practice, you can do a yoga practice, you can go for a long walk, a short walk, you can just stand still, you can do it in here, you can do it in your room, you can do it downstairs. Follow your own rhythm. Find your own rhythm. Now, we offer a period of practice like this so that you can learn to be self-reliant. Not just the discipline of the schedule, that's important, but it's also learning how to be, how to trust yourself, how to sense within yourself, what do I need to do now? Do I need to walk? Why, do, why, do I, why is this a good time to walk? Or do I need to sit or stand? Do I need to go here? Do I need to go there? And why? And to bring the same quality of attention to all the activities that you do, walking, sitting, going to the toilet, if you've got to go to the office, go to the office. If you've got to go back to your room, go back to your room. Whatever you do, recognize that your mind is with you. And that's what we're paying attention to. We're paying attention to our mind. So it doesn't really matter, in one sense, what you do. We want to learn how to sustain the continuity of awareness in all of those activities. That's why we give you a period in the afternoon from lunch till four to find your own way. Now, many people who've been on retreats have had scheduled the whole day. And you look at that open period and you feel like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I don't, I don't know, should I? Uh, uh, and it can be a little unsettling. Uh, and for a day or two, you might kind of fumble around and stumble around and just kind of, kind of look around and see what other people are doing. Maybe you'll just try to fit into a schedule, put yourself on a 45-minute sit-walk schedule. Or, or you may try anything. But after a couple of days, you'll see that you'll feel the rhythm. You'll, you'll feel what it is you need to do. And you can just follow that. Almost universally, when we've offered retreats with open or unscheduled period, or we call them self-scheduled periods of time, people kind of flounder for a day or two. And by the end of the retreat, they love it. Because they can really settle into their own pace. Now what that means is, if you're sitting in the hall, there'll be people coming in and leaving throughout your whole sitting. I hope that's not a problem. Because that's the way life is, isn't it? You know, things happen. Not everybody's doing the same thing. So, of course, be respectful and try to be quiet and, you know, be, be sensitive to the fact that there are the people sitting in the hall when you come in or when you go out. But if you're sitting in the hall and people are coming and going, watch your mind. Are you getting irritated? Are you getting upset? Are you have judgment to them? Or are you watching your own mind? Very interesting. Then in the evening, again, we put you back on a schedule of meal, sit, a break, and then the Dharma talk in the, in the evening. So there's plenty of time that's scheduled, a chunk of time that is self-scheduled, and throughout the whole day from five to nine, you have a lot of different activities to awaken, awaken to. And that's really the format that I wanted to speak about. And then I guess I should just say that we all come for our own reasons. 
and we could go around the room and solicit, why, what brought you here? Why are you here? What brought you here? And it's good to remember throughout the re- retreat periodically, why are you here? What so moved you months ago to consider doing a retreat like this and that you confirmed again and again and again every time you had the option and it actually got you here. We lose, sometimes when we're looking at our minds and our boredom and pain in the body and the other stuff that's bound to happen, we forget the inspiration for being here. And so I just want to remind you to recollect, to reflect on periodically throughout the day, every day, why you're here. It'll be a great support for your practice. So thank you very much. Welcome, everybody. I always find it interesting, this first night of a retreat, like it's so quiet, you know, it seems like nothing's going on, but inside, (laughs) it's so exciting. You know, this is such an exciting time, you know, whether we've done this, uh, whether this is our first retreat, whether we've been to dozens of these, you know, we show up, um, we put all this work, you know, Steve was saying, into getting here. And, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. You know, we don't know how it's going to unfold. You know, we're excited, we're exhausted, we're nervous. Um, There's so much going on under the surface there. And if this is your first time doing this, I just want to reassure you, it will all be okay, (laughs) however it unfolds. So we're here kind of, you know, on the brink, you know, about to take that jump off of the cliff into this thing that we call retreat, you know, which is this huge adventure. And it can feel a little unsettling. It can feel a little unnerving. So, you know, as many of you know, this, this tradition, this uh, part of our culture has evolved over the centuries, over the millenniums, of starting off a period of, of retreat with what we call taking the refuges and the precepts, which hopefully you picked up uh, on your way into the hall. Is there anybody that doesn't have the, the sheet with the refuges and precepts? Anybody? I don't know if we could... Bring some. Do you want to grab some, Vance, if anybody uh, missed one? Yeah. So I know there's been a lot of talking already. You've gotten great guidance from Sage about how we're going to hold the retreat and from Steve about the format of the retreat. And I just wanted to talk a little bit more about uh, the refuges and the precepts as a way of grounding us. You know, this is our time to uh, go through this ritual, this ritual of beginning the retreat. So the refuges and the precepts Um, By taking these, we kind of explicitly establish our foundation for the retreat. So there's the inner foundation, that understanding of uh, our place of confidence, our place of uh, faith that supports and inspires our practice. And then there's the outer foundation, the container that we hold here so that we can live together harmoniously and support each other for the time of the retreat. So the first part, that inner foundation, is the refuges. Going for refuge. 
you know, which is so important, both now at the beginning of the retreat and, and as we continue through, through the retreat, to continue to connect with that place of refuge for us, which is going to be uh, very personal for each of us, but there's this, this traditional way of approaching it. You know, where can we turn for support? Where can we turn for encouragement as we go through all of the difficult times, all of the sleepiness, all of the restlessness, all of the obsessive mind trips that are going to come? So the common crown is reflecting on the three refuges, the three jewels of the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. The Buddha, of course, was a historical figure. Uh, you know this guy <laughs> who lived about 2,600 years ago. Uh, was born into relatively comfortable circumstances, much like many of us, um, but became dissatisfied with his life and was looking for something more. Set out on a spiritual quest to find a deeper meaning, a deeper understanding of life, and succeeded. He found a path. He found a path of practice that led to the end of all of his suffering. You know, how great is that? And then he spent the next 45 years of his life spreading the word, teaching what he had learned, showing others how to walk the same path. So the story of the, the Buddha's life and his teaching, for some of us, that's very inspiring. You know, that here was this human being, essentially just like us, who achieved deep, who achieved deep and lasting peace through just the same practice that we're doing here. So he's really the ultimate role model for us. You know, that's why he's, he's here up front. You know, he's not uh, an idol. He's not an overseer. He's a reminder, you know, that he did it. And so can we, that it's possible. So in that way, the Buddha also represents really the highest potential for all of us. He was very clear in saying throughout his teaching career, you know, that he was not divine, he was not a god, uh, he was not superhuman in any way. He was a human being, a human being that was fully awake, that had realized his full potential. And so when we take refuge in the Buddha, we're really taking refuge in our own potential as human beings because we are human, just as the Buddha was. The second refuge of the, the Dhamma or the Dhamma, the Dharma, refers to the body of teachings that was left to us by the Buddha and by his uh, cronies and associates during the next centuries that passed these teachings down to us the ones that we're putting into practice here. You know, the source for this practice, as he was saying, has taken many different forms. Uh, but the, the practice that we're teaching here really comes right out of the traditional teachings uh, that have been passed down over centuries. You know, it's really not a flash in the pan. You know, this is not a new age phenomena here. And even just here at IMS, you know, IMS is coming up in a couple of years on its 40th anniversary. Hard to believe. You know, thousands of people have practiced here and followed these same teachings. And the reason that we're still here and growing and expanding is that it works, it's effective. So we can have confidence that what we're doing here is well thought out, well tested, well verified. And we can have faith that it can be helpful for us too. On a more subtle level, the Dharma can also refer to our own personal truth or the truth of our own personal experience which is what we're really here to connect with. So as we go through the day, sitting, walking, you know, eating, doing our work, what we're going to observe, what we're going to learn about is the truth of that experience, of those experiences. And the details of that will be 
unique for each of us based on many different factors. But whatever comes up for us while we're here, as we practice, we can trust in its validity. We can trust in its authenticity. So in other words, there's really no way that we can have a wrong experience here. You know, we often worry about doing it right or am I getting it wrong. There's no wrong experience here. There's nothing in particular that we need to make happen. There's nothing in particular that we need to prevent from happening or avoid. We just need to show up and pay attention to what happens, just as it is. So when we take refuge in the, in the Dharma, we can relax some. You know, we can trust that we can just let the retreat take its natural course, do the best that we can, knowing that however it unfolds, it will be the Dharma. It will be the truth, the truth for us at this particular point in time. The third refuge of the Sangha is the community of beings who are walking together on this path that the Buddha taught. And there are those who have done this practice over the centuries who have really had some deep understanding, deep transformation that came out of it, who've had a real taste of what the Buddha was talking about by peace and freedom. So we can take refuge in their example again, in their legacy, you know, more people that have walked this path and succeeded. Thousands, probably millions of people have done this practice and benefited from it and passed down their understandings to the point where they've reached us here today. And then there's all of us that are walking this path right now, those of us that are here, you know, whether it's just for nine days or, you know, some of us have been at this for many years. Um, We're all in our own way seeking relief from suffering, seeking deep happiness. And we provide each other with really invaluable support along the way. And that's especially clear on retreat here. We really see that, that we draw so much patience and so much strength from those around us. You know, we can look around and say, okay, you know, he's still going or you know, she's still here. And maybe I can just make it to the lunch bell, you know. We really support each other just through our simple presence here without even trying to, just by all being on the path together. We don't feel so alone in this process. So when we take refuge in the Sangha, we're allowing us to be both inspired and supported by all those others that have walked and are walking this path. Which leads us very naturally to considering uh, the precepts, the other part of this opening night ritual, uh, the setting of the, the guidelines or the ground rules, the creating of the container for this retreat, which creates just this really special uh, atmosphere and environment that we have here during retreat. You know, everything changes, right, in this intangible way as we kind of shift into retreat mode. You know, we wake up tomorrow morning having kind of gone through this opening uh, ritual and had our night's sleep, and suddenly we're on retreat. You know, it's really magical how this happens. And a big part of that is this communal uh, commitment that we undertake to uh, commit to the precepts, to support each other, to care for each other. Uh, to be careful in how we live here. That's part of the practice that we do here. Um, As much as uh, the mindfulness practice, the awareness practice that we do here, this is also really um, a compassionate action retreat. You know, we're also practicing how to live in community in a really careful and sensitive way, in a really considerate and compassionate way. Although we're not always so conscious that that's what's going on, but really that's a huge part of what happens here. So we commit to these precepts. The first five precepts, if you look at the sheet or if you reflect on them, if you're already familiar with them, 
these are the ones that have to do with living in community. Kind of, kind of the golden rule stuff, you know, which is really common sense, but um, can be helpful to reflect on consciously too. Um, my daughter is eight years old now, and um, recently I've been trying to teach her the golden rule. She's kind of at that stage in her life where she's, you know, she can take it in. She's starting to mature a little bit in her thinking, and it's also becoming more important, you know. If you remember back to, the, to that, those tween years, especially for the ladies in the group, you know, it's important to start to think about, you know, how are you relating with people? Um, how are you, how are you uh, considering their needs and their feelings? So there's this wonderful book that we've been reading uh, that I found. It's called Do Unto Otters, <laughs> which is the, the thrilling tale of a, a, a solitary squirrel who lives out in the forest in a very secluded spot in the, in the forest in his, tree, in his wonderful tree that he loves. It's a very quiet place in the forest. And he comes home one day to find that a family of otters has moved in right next door in the stream that he goes to for his water. And ah, <laughs> he's, he's not used to living in community. You know, he doesn't, he's, he's nervous about, is he going to get along with the otters? You know, are they going to get along? What, what's going to happen if they don't get along? You know, so he goes to his teacher who advises him to do unto the otters as you would have them do unto you. I think, you know, wouldn't the world be a wonderful place if everybody could just read this book and really absorb it? <laughs> so this is really what the precepts are about, you know, and this is everything that we've been talking about this evening so far. You know, the first precept you know, undertaking to just be really careful in how we relate to each other, to, to take care not to harm each other. You know, obviously we don't need to, to worry about abstaining from attacking each other, but, you know, considering that other people uh, may have, you know, sensitivities to, to sense, you know, uh, making sure we keep our hands clean and cover our noses so that germs are not spread. Just all of these things are ways in which we show our care for each other, in which we protect each other, really. Every time we wash our hands, we're protecting each other. Just, it doesn't have to be big things. And then also relating with you know, the, all the non-human beings that we share the space with. You know? So thinking about how you know, we connect with the, the chipmunks and the bugs and all the other little creatures around here and just being careful in how we go about our activities. Refraining from taking what's not given. I actually use that language in speaking with my daughter because it's not so much about stealing again. You know, I don't think there are any thieves here lurking among the group, but you know, things just get left lying around and then sometimes it's not clear, are they community property or are they somebody's personal property? So, you know, unless we're really clear that it's something that's offered for our use, just letting it be. It's a little bit of a practice in renunciation as well. Undertaking the precept to refrain from sexual activity, you know, this is this can be a really powerful one. You know, again, even here on retreat, especially here on retreat, because we're so sensitive. You know, like maybe there's that yogi who's kind of caught our eye across the room that we have a little bit of a vipassana romance with. You know, so we kind of end up sitting at their table at lunch every day. You know, it can be as simple as that. That other yogi, because we're so sensitive, you know, people pick up on that energy. So we're just really being careful about how what kind of vibes we might be putting out. And just keeping that to ourselves so that we're not, we're not bothering each other. The, again, the precept about speech, you know, this can be um, kind of a tricky one, especially when we are maybe in a mood of, you know, feeling a lot of caring, feeling a lot of connection with our fellow, fellow yogis. To remember that the, the greatest gift, the greatest kindness, is really to let them have their own space. To let them, to give them the space of the, of the noble silence here, to really go through their own process on their own, without interfering. 
even maybe, you know, if we see someone who's in a little bit of distress, you know, maybe there's, you know, times there, there has been known to be a little bit of crying going on around the meditation center here. You know, there's a wonderful support net- network here between, you know, the teachers and the staff and uh, the, support, the wonderful support folks that we have uh, on retreat with us now. Um, if they really need help, there's places to go to, for help. So can we just let them be, you know, to have their space? Or the people that we do yogi jobs with, you know, it might seem like it's kind of antisocial, you know, not to have some interaction with them. But really, you know, the greatest gift is just to let each other have our own space to do this process. So those are the first five precepts. And I just wanted to say a little bit about the last three precepts, because that's something that, you know, is a little, a little bit different about how we do the retreat here. Some of us haven't encountered those in other place, places. The, the, those next three precepts, the six, seven, eight, are really uh, voluntary. So they're, they're, it's not necessary to undertake those here, but we offer them voluntarily because the three of us uh, have really found them to be helpful on retreat. You know, when we go and practice in Asia, this is part of uh, the commitment that we make at a retreat center. Here they're voluntary, um, but we have found them to be very helpful. So they're more about um, adding an extra dose of renunciation, you know, just coming here and being here at the retreat center. As Steve was saying already, there's like a huge amount of renunciation, you know, especially for our culture. You know, there's so many things that we give up, that we sacrifice to be here for this time. But it can be especially helpful to kind of, um, to, to, to question our assumptions that we might have about these three aspects of our lives, you know, about how much food we need to really feel okay while we're here about how much sleep we really need to feel okay, about how much entertainment we really need to feel okay while we're here, and just to, to play with those as part of the practice. So, you know, it's not necessary to undertake all three of them for the whole retreat. If that seems like too much, we could just undertake one or undertake them for a day. You know, this is really uh, an invitation to exploration, especially if you haven't uh, experimented with these before. It can be really interesting. You know, sometimes we might find that, you know, we feel like we really need the, the tea, the, the evening uh, snack that they offer here, uh, which is really not so exciting anyway. <laughs> but, but if, you know, if we, if we experiment with giving that up, we might find that, oh, you know, the mind is clearer, the energy is lighter, we're not so sluggish later in the day. You know, there's the, the gift of being able to avoid just the whole mishigas of, you know, the dining hall, <laughs> which can become very uh, complicated and oppressive. Or with sleep, we might find if we, you know, give up that nap after lunch, then, you know, again, there's just more energy. The mind doesn't wander as much. So just all sorts of preconceptions that we might have about, you know, what we need to do to keep ourselves in balance here, they really might not uh, prove to be true. So I invite you to experiment with those if you think they'd be helpful. And Steve now is going to uh, lead us in the chanting of the refuges of the, and the precepts to formally launch the retreat, and I just want to offer all of you uh, my heartfelt wishes for a wonderful experience here and a very rewarding retreat. So on the Refuges and Precepts, you can see that they're written in the Pali language, which is the language that the Buddha's teachings were first uh, written down, recorded in. And then the meaning in English is to the right or beneath them. And so for this uh, retreat, we'll be chanting in Pali. And tonight I will chant a word or phrase 
and ask you to repeat it after me. And we'll do these refuges and precepts each morning at the beginning of the first sitting or at five o'clock, five thirty. Uh, we'll we'll do them again each day as a way of um, re-acknowledging our aspiration to find refuge in the Buddha Dharma Sangha and to uh, reaffirm our uh, intention to uh, live in harmony uh, while we're here. So I'll chant a phrase or a word and ask you to repeat after me. And let me just ask, how many of you are considering taking any or all of the additional three precepts? Okay. There is, just to let you know, there is a a sheet of paper on the bulletin board outside the hall asking that you indicate on the paper that you're taking uh, eight precepts and the kitchen will then know how much food not to prepare for you and will also prepare some juice I think I think they prepare juice for people who are taking the eight precepts so because you can have juice in the evening but not the solid food so if you'll just indicate your with a mark then they'll uh, know how much to prepare so let me just make another comment when when we come into the hall, I think all of us bow, turned to this uh, representation of the Buddha and bowed. It is uh, it's, it's not something you need to do, and, and I would ask you not to do anything that's just kind of a meaningless ritual. But for each of us, we have our own practice when we bow to the Buddha. I myself take either refuge in the Buddha Dhamma Sangha, or I uh, share the merit usually at the end of the sitting, sharing the merit of my practice with, with others. And so there's, there's a mental component to the, the bowing. And it's a good way to kind of uh, get the body ready for sitting still or to kind of loosen up the body after sitting still. So there's a practical piece of it too. So if you wish, of course you can, but in no way do we expect it. And uh, we do not encourage you to perform meaningless ritual. So if it's, if it's valuable for you, if it's a meaningful thing, if it's a practice of awareness for you, then by all means, if you wish. So, oh, in, in addition, uh, when I do the refuges and precepts, I'm usually holding my hands like this, just as a way of uh, paying respect to the practice, but also just putting myself in a position of uh, invoking and... Uh, humility, really, to may I, may I take refuge in the Buddha and may I take refuge in the Dhamma Sangha. So, again, if it's meaningful for you, meaningful for you, fine. If it's not, no bother. So, please repeat after me. Namo. Namo Tassa Bhagavato, Tassa Bhagavato, Arahato, Arahato, Samma Sambuddhasa, Samma Sambuddhasa, Namo, Namo Tassa Bhagavato, Tassa Bhagavato, Arahato, 
Arahato Samma Sambhurasa Samma Sambhurasa Namo Namo Tassa Bhagavato Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Arahato Samma Sambhurasa Samma Sambhurasa Buddhang Saranangachami Udang Saranang Chami Damang Saranang Chami Damang Saranang Chami Sangang Saranang Chami Sangang Saranang Chami Dutiampi Budang Saranang Chami Dutiampi Budang Saranang Chami Dutiampi Damang Saranang Chami Dutiampi Damang Saranang Chami Dutiampi Sangang Saranang Chami Dutiampi Sangang Saranang Chami Tatiampi Budang Saranang Chami Tatiampi Budang Saranang Chami Tatiampi Damang Saranang Chami Tatiampi Damang Saranang Chami Tatiampi Sangang Saranang Chami Tatiampi Sangang Saranang Chami Panati Pata Panati Pata Veramani Veramani Sika Badang Sika Badang Smadiami Smadiami Hadina Dana Hadina Dana Veramani Veramani Sika Badang Sika Badang Smadiami Smadiami Aprahmacharya Aprahmacharya Veramani Veramani Sika Badang Sika Badang Smadiami Smadiami Musawada Musawada Veramani Veramani Sika Badang Sika Badang Smadiami Smadiami Sura Maria Sura Maria Majapamadatana Majapamadatana Veramani Veramani Sika Badang Sika Badang Samadiyami Vadiyami. Now for those of you who are taking the additional three precepts Vikala Bojana Vikala Bojana Veramani Veramani Sika Badang Sika Badang Samadiyami Svadiyami Nacha Gita Nacha Gita Vadita Vadita Visuka Dasana Visuka Dasana Malaganda, Malaganda, Vilepana, Vilepana, Dharana, Dharana, Mandana, Mandana, Vibhusanathana, Vibhusanathana, 
เวรามณีเวรามณีสิกาบดังสิกาบดังสมาดิยามีสมาดิยามีอุชาสายนาอุชาสายนามหาสายนามหาสายนาเวรามณีเวรามณีสิกาบดังสิกาบดังสมาดิยามีสมาดิยามี and then all of us อิดังเมสิลังอิดังเมสิลังมะกะปะลัญญาณสะมะกะปะลัญญาณสะปัจเจโยปัจเจโอตุ Thank you all very much. I just want to make a comment about the last phrase that we um, chanted: "The idang me silang, magapala nyana sa pachayohotu." May my virtue, may my practice of these precepts uh, help uh, conduce to the attainment of what's called path and fruition, or magapala. That is enlightenment. So. By undertaking these precepts, may it support or conduce to the attainment of freedom of mind, freedom of heart. That's how powerful taking and keeping the precepts is. Okay, so anybody ready for bed? If not, the room is always open. You can just keep sitting and. So, um, since a lot of us have had to travel to get here today, and it's been a full day, um, we'll stop here and encourage you to get your rest. And there'll be a wake-up bell in the morning, and we we'll look forward to seeing you in the hall then. Okay. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org/donate.